0: Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by the Heat Treat Buyer's Guide. Use the free online directory to find heat treat service and product providers near you. Go to www.heattreatbuyersguide.com. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Heat Treat Radio. Today our host and Heat Treat Today publisher, Doug Glenn, is interviewing Mark Mills, a leading energy and technology expert in the nation and senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Mark shares his keen understanding of how energy demands and crises affect the economy and how it relates to the material sciences, like heat treatment. If this interview piques your interest, check out his recently published book called The Cloud Revolution, How the Convergence of New Technologies Will Unleash the Next Economic Boom and Roaring 2020s.
1: Well, welcome to this, uh, this next episode of Heat Treat Radio. Um, this is a real, I'm really tickled about this interview. Get to uh, interview, for most of you, it's, it, this gentleman is a heat treat industry outsider. <laughs> He's an outsider, but listen, he probably knows more about energy and emerging technologies than pretty much anybody in the industry. So I'm really looking forward to talking uh, to, to Mark Mills today. Mark and I first met at the International Therm Process Summit in Dusseldorf in 2017. Yeah. Uh, back in the heyday of Marcellus and Utica Shale. So yeah. that was that was fun. So Mark, first off, welcome. Glad to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me. That was uh, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, I guess, right? <laughs>
1: That's right. A long exactly. time ago.
2: Seems like a long time ago.
1: It, it does seem like a long time yeah. ago. So l- let me give our listeners and viewers a quick idea of your of your background, okay? And then, I'm, then sure. we'll jump into some questions. So I told I told Mark before we hit the record button, I said, it's probably gonna take me longer to introduce you than it is for the rest of the conversation, <laughs> it's so.
2: Not, it's a, they can always Google me in the magic machine and they'll know more than they wanna know anyway, but go ahead. That,
1: that's exactly right, all right. So So Mark is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which is a conservative think tank in New York City. Also a faculty fellow at Northwest University's McCormick School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Uh, strate and a strategic partner at the Montrose Lane uh, Venture Fund. I think you said it was Mark, no. an energy tech venture fund. Okay, and before this, he was chairman and CTO of the ICX Technologies, which he helped take public in 2007, and is co-author, either author or co-author of four books. Right? Oh. <laughs> you can you can correct me on any of this. 2005 book, which I found to be very an interesting title, the Bottomless Well. The twilight of fuel, the virtue of waste, and why we'll never run out of energy. I thought that was great, and that was co-authored with Pete Peter Huber, I believe. And in 2018, work in the age of robots, which is interesting. Our publication just recently did some work with uh, with uh, talking about how to work with robots, and then 2020, digital cathedrals, and then your most recent book, which I will ask you about. Last question I want to ask you today is about the your, your book is just coming out or it has just come out is the cloud revolution, how the convergence of new technologies will unleash the new economic boom and the roaring 20s. Okay, so that should be interesting. So <laughs> Mark's also Mark's also been uh, published, published a lot of articles, Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, Forbes, USA Today, real clear, been on TV, which is CNN, Fox, NBC, PBS, and now Heat Treat Radio, <laughs> uh, you know, straight <laughs> yes. to the top. Top and, to top, uh, baby. Yeah, that's right. Also 2005 Comedy Central's The Daily Show with Jon Stewart which by the way I watched I like that one. Um uh, and uh he's he's also just recently joined the podcast ranks. So congratulations oh. on that with a podcast I will recommend cuz I've listened to every episode so far. Believe it oh. or not. Well, All you. three of them.
2: That's right. <laughs> well number number 4 goes goes up goes live in a few days. So There you go. Yeah, and they, you.
1: so for those of you listening the podcast hmm is called The Last Optimist. Uh, <laughs> yes, and yeah, started on, started on. I've got here, started on February 24th with Unleashing Innovation. So highly recommend that. Only other thing I want to mention about your background, Mark, was that you were in the White House's science office, a staff consultant under President Ronald Reagan. So again, welcome. Hey, and my first question to you is this, did you ever meet Ronald Reagan?
2: No, I was a kid. And I like to remind people that I was, still in diapers at that time so it doesn't date me too much when you talk to (laughs) students they hear Reagan they think that it was like it would be as if when I was a student somebody came and talked to me and said they worked for Grover Cleveland yeah it would would have been unimpressive uh you know I did I never met them they kept uh those young I was very I was I was you know 20 something and uh the the kids worked uh in little you know cubicles and little cages and you got fed your work you worked seven days a week you did what you had to do uh the yeah, president yeah. didn't meet with the kids uh yeah. that's that was i know peggy noonan who famously parlayed yeah. her speech writing. she was a contemporary i didn't know her then i don't know her now but she yeah. wrote some years later she never met the president either okay uh, yeah. i had a hand in writing one of his one of his speeches because it, the only energy speech he ever gave uh i had a I had a hand in i didn't write the speech but yeah the speech, speech writers <clears throat> were um Required to flight by uh, us techies in the science office to make sure they yeah. didn't screw yeah, up. Yeah. So I, I rewrote some of that speech. It was fun.
1: Well, I was going to say that would have been right at the right in the middle of the whole. It seems to me there was a lot of energy crisis things going yeah. on. He was coming off a ray off of uh, Carter. So right. price so fixing the,
2: and exactly. The, we had the combination of things: the '79 um, uh, Iranian Revolution, which, of course, yeah. then with Carter's presidency also led to a. increase in oil prices almost overnight. And so the world was in thrall of uh, alternatives to energy and oil back then. And Uh uh, Congress in 1980 passed something I've been warning oil companies about ever since, uh, the Windfall Profits Tax Act to uh, punish oil companies for making money for for the foresight of having drilled oil before a price rise and storing it and selling it after a price rise which used to be in business called a smart commodity play but yeah congress criminalized it it took right. uh, i think eight years before that law was repealed it was yeah. a feckless law it did not achieve its purposes it just damaged american businesses yeah. but yeah. anyway i digress
1: yeah. no yeah <clears throat> but you know what it just goes to show you no good deed will be
2: unpunished so there right. you go exactly no I think congress yeah. may do it again they're talking about it again yeah yeah but my yeah. book my book comes out at a uh a curious time i, I I wrote it during COVID times, uh, lockdown yeah. time, which is a dispiriting, yeah. a dispiriting time to write an optimistic book. But uh, I make analogies in my introduction to the book to the 1920s, which was also a dispiriting time. 1920 was the third wave of the 1918 flu, which yeah. in, in uh, per capita terms was 400% more lethal than uh, coronavirus has been. And, oh, it, and it primarily killed young people. The coronavirus has primarily killed old people. Yeah. So it was a devastating time. We came off a horrific world war. We were in the middle of massive race riots in the early 1920s of, mm. of, of a level that are well, frankly unprecedented and still haven't been repeated, thank, thank God. Yeah. <clears throat> we had uh, political turmoil uh, over the fears of the Red Scare. This was right on the heels of the Bolshevik revolution and the worries about communism infiltrating the Western world, and especially the United States. And so the world, though, technologically took off. I mean, it was 1920s were a time of great convergence of technologies of that era. Not one thing. It was multiple things. We had the dawn of a practical automobile, the dawn of practical airplanes, the advent of radio communications, the proliferation of telephony in homes. We had pharmaceuticals appear for the first time in history and chemical polymers that allowed cheaper products for consumers. It was a, a, a time of torrid growth that led to roughly 75 years of the greatest expansion of wealth and well-being the world has ever seen. It also didn't mean we didn't have war. So as I pointed out in yep. the introduction to my book, uh, governments can do stupid things and one would, would, one would expect another war. And I wrote this Right before the war broke out in Ukraine, not yeah. because I wanted a war, because we fight wars, unfortunately. Um, yeah. and we can expect other recessions and depressions uh, that'll happen too. All of that happened in the twentieth century. yet the technological changes of the twentieth century, everybody knows, brought astounding advancements in well-being and wealth. So the yes. question you would would have is, could it happen again? Now, there are some economists, and it's typically the economists. Who say no? The new normal is slow growth. All the big things have been invented. Yeah. I call, yeah. I call them the new normalists. Um, the new normalists are wrong. In my book, I set out to prove yeah. we're on the cusp of a, revol- a, a revolution, not in one thing, uh, but in, in, across all the same three fronts of transportation, machines, and materials and communications. Yeah. Although, The lead title is The Cloud, because at the center of it is something that really is unique. The cloud infrastructure is truly a unique thing in human history.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a fascinating book. I may ask you a little bit more about it towards the end. So, but (laughs) sounds sounds very good. No, I think you might even
2: enjoy it if you read it. It's available now at (laughs) Amazon.com.
1: I got to get it. I do. Honestly, I haven't, I have not read it yet, but I will be,
2: there'll be a quiz too, but go ahead. Yeah. All (laughs) right. That sounds
1: good. That sounds good. And I do
2: have several chapters on energy in the book, of course, because energy is impossible. impossible, You mentioned, you mentioned,
1: you mentioned materials though, Mark, do you have anything on materials in, in there? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Great. That's, I, I can tell you a lot of people in our audience will be interested in that. So let me ask you the first question. Though. I want to, I want to hearken back to something you said, which I think will be, uh, kind of provocative for our audience. And that was when you were on the, you know, the deadly serious John Stewart show, uh, <laughs> you, you said, yeah, you, yeah. you said, or he said, I can't remember which one said, we don't have an energy problem. We have a technology problem. Yeah. Why don't you explain that please?
2: Yes. Uh, It was it was an interesting show, by the way. I hope uh, he uh, picks up doing book book interviews again on his his podcast. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it was it was the most interesting, and I can tell you this. And I'm not this is not to suck up to John Stewart because you're not John Stewart, and he's not doing TV anymore. But that's right. When you're on the book circuit, you don't expect people to have read your book. You really don't. Yeah, it's just it's not a reasonable expectation. But you're happy to talk about your book because the whole point of writing it is you want people to know it exists. Yeah. He was, he was uh, the only person who had obviously read the book before I came on the interview. You, yeah, you could yeah. tell by the questions. Uh, he, you know, very bright guy, very curious mind. And he was fascinated by this and he, he got the point. And the point of course was, you know, energy is uh, physics, uh, you know, I'm a physicist. So I confess to that sort of bias. There's no yeah. limit to energy in the universe. There's essentially an infinite supply of energy. Energy is all around us in all kinds of forms. It's always a question of what technologies are available to tap into nature's energy forms, whatever the form is in ways that are acceptable and acceptable means affordable, reliable, clean enough, all the metrics that we care about in society, but it's always a technology problem. So if you think there's a shortage of energy, you're essentially saying we've we've stopped technology innovation. Now you can have interregnums where the innovation slows down it can be hard to find the new solutions and take time. So that would be the quote shortage, right? Shortages occur in the sense that they we max out our access to land because energy is always about accessing land somewhere. You yep. Always have to get ahead. You're, you have to get your hands on land where whether whether you're getting land where the wind is or land where the oil is. It's the it's the yep. same thing. You, or land it,
1: where the sun shines or whatever. It doesn't
2: matter. It's all, you have yep. to get, you have to pay for whether politically or in dollar terms access to land and then you have to build machines and building machines always requires the extraction of materials from the earth and given your audience always everywhere requires the application of heat to convert materials from one form to another And the application of heat in physics and your audience knows this thermodynamically means you always have waste waste that's why our other book with the title was the virtue of waste by that we meant was the virtue of waste is the Fact of applying heat to bring order to the universe, get higher ordered materials, means that that's a virtue. We want to get higher ordered materials, a lower entropy, higher quality steels, different kinds of polymers, these things that require heat. So the the presence of waste is actually a direct indication, presence of waste heat, that we're doing a virtuous thing of creating order in our universe. Anyway that's why we yeah, yeah, why yeah.
1: Right. not to say that we not to say that we try to maximize the amount of waste but the fact that we're creating it we're creating waste well, shows we're doing something and it's something productive
2: no, no engineer ever maximizes waste what engineers yeah. are stuck with is the fact of conversion efficiencies require you to it's a misnomer it, you know the idea that there's waste energy is, is a total misnomer it is the price you pay. To, add ent- yeah. to take entropy out of systems. It's the price you pay for conversions. It's right. a cost. Now you want to minimize the cost. So in engineering terms, it means minimize the amount of waste heat because you spend yeah. all kinds of money making heat. So I don't want to throw it away needlessly. Sure. But every engineer knows this fact, if it costs me more to reduce the amount of waste heat than the, the money I have to spend to get additional input fuel, I'm going to buy the input fuel because yeah, yeah. It, it's always about money. It really is yeah, for every business.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. So, it, so speaking of business, so our industry, which you know relatively well, you know, having having spoke over at the International Therm Process Summit, you got a good good taste of it there. We are heavily natural gas, yeah. right, especially yeah. North America. Now, over in Europe, where we met, it wasn't wasn't so much that. I mean, they they're still natural gas, but they have a heavy heavier emphasis on electricity as well. So it's heavy natural gas. Before the Ukrainian crisis, what was, what was the long-term look for energy here, especially natural gas here in North America? And then I wanna ask you after that, just a follow up, okay, how has that changed since the Ukrainian crisis?
2: Yeah. Well, the, the long-term look was the same before as it is after in terms of the physics reality. That okay. is the world needs a lot more energy and would need a lot more natural gas. And the U.S. Was, would, would be eventually, depending on what administration, what policies are in place from Congress, would eventually expand its production and its exports. That, in my view, is, is locked into reality. The velocity with which that happened is what Ukraine changed. And mm-hmm. now we haven't mm-hmm. seen evidence of the velocity changing yet. But I do think that the Ukrainian crisis uh, will serve as a reset back to reality of what governments need to do, both in Europe and here in the United States. Right. To, to provide the kind of energy needed to make electricity and the kind of ener- energy needed to make heat in process industries.
1: Yeah, yeah. So same, same, you say same, same basically, not f- from a business side, you're saying Essentially, well, let me ask you this. Let me actually ask you the next question because this might really get to the gist of it. Yeah. Because as you know, it's all about price, right? It's all exactly. about the price of it. So, midterm or short-term, midterm natural gas gas prices here again here in North yeah. America. Yeah. What are you thinking? And uh, what what should heat treat natural gas users uh, be watching to to help them know what's coming down the pike?
2: Yeah, I think any big industrial users of natural gas have learned something in the recent decade of the shale revolution, the incredible increase in gas exports. U.S. is now the largest natural gas exporter in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Although Qatar is gonna work hard to surpass this. They've just announced tens of billions of dollars of investment in new LNG export capacity. And I suspect Australia is gonna do the same. We've, we, we don't have a similar response yet. So short term, uh, we know that natural gas prices have, have migrated towards being commoditized like oil prices. So they have uh, been dragged into the uh, exchange markets of the world. And what that means in the short term is exactly what you're already seeing. Gas prices get dragged up as traders worry and think about where future supplies are gonna come from. Right. So I think we'll, we're, we're seeing, we're gonna see more volatility in the future, but I made that prediction in 2000, I think 15 <laughs> in Dusseldorf. <Doozleport. laughs> the volatility comes yeah. from, the combination of expansion of the U.S. production and, and the uh, commoditization of the market globally. So that's normal, uh, which, would, which would argue if you're a big consumer to look to, look to making favorable long-term contracts with suppliers, uh, pretty normal, whatever the commodity. But I do think in the short-term markets will be stressed because there's gonna be a lot of pressure to, uh, Europe's gonna, gonna, I think, inevitably wanna have more U.S. LNG this mm-hmm. will yep. redirect LNG exports from Asia to Europe. That will in the short term push prices up because you can't build pipes fast enough. And believe me, Putin's going to build more pipes to China. That's one outcome you can almost take to the bank. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that takes time. So during the build-out of those pipes and this and the competition for gas, and we'll see how this administration responds to expediting new export terminals. By the way, expedite export terminals to move more gas in the markets, I think counterintuitively will help lower gas prices. The more relief we put into the market of supply certainty, yeah. the, the more forward prices will, I think, get pulled down. Short term, yeah. though, of say, I think volatility was trending up, not crazy up, I don't think. Okay. If, we, if we ban if, if if Europe tried to ban the use of Russian gas, gas prices will go crazy up, as they yeah. did in the sh- short term, you know, in the windall in, in Europe. Longer yeah. term, I'm very bullish, I mean, on gas prices being moderate and, and cheap again, because I mean, the US is, uh, it's, it can produce astonishing quantities of gas. You know, I've talked to producers, and I won't name names, that when gas prices for consumers, you, you were all real happy when it was two bucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you're, if you're a producer, you're not a happy camper. But producers were still making a profit at two bucks. Who knew? Yeah. I mean it's crazy nobody thought that was ever possible so and look to be fair if you're a consumer you want two not three dollars but given a world that used to see five and ten dollar gas you know that you can live with three dollar or four dollar gas and do very well in the world markets because everybody else in the world is paying five to fifteen
1: yes exactly yeah
2: and then and at those prices let's say let's just throw numbers three to five for the clearing price in united states United States can produce just gas tolls coming out of our ears and uh, to use the yeah. obvious expression and yeah. ship it to the world, net landing in in Europe for you know six, seven, eight. This, this is, I just think it's the biggest single revolution that's still underappreciated is the, not the oil from this American production, but the gas. The gas, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's huge, it's monstrous.
0: When we return, Doug and Mark will discuss how heat treaters might feel the effects of the war in the Ukraine and the demands on energy. But first, are you wanting to purchase a new furnace, or maybe some burners, baskets, and bearings? Or maybe just a consultation to keep you in line with the AMS 2750F standards? You can find North American heat treat providers of services, equipment, and related products on heattreatbuyersguide.com. It's a super simple search tool, which allows you to browse by category or by searching the name of a product or company. This tool will help you streamline your purchases and expenses as you begin summer orders and want to maintain excellent results from your Heat Treat shop. Go to www.heattreatbuyersguide.com to start searching today. Again, that's www.heattreatbuyersguide.com now back to the episode
1: so let me ask you this i'm curious about the uh, about russia not and i don't know how much what goes on over there is going to affect us okay but i guess i've got a couple questions about russia after the ukrainian crisis is over which let's hope it gets over soon do you see russia returning to be a major player which i assume they are now right a major player in the energy market as far as actual ability to to produce the energy, and do you think there's any there's going to be any long-term pushback yeah. against uh, buying energy from them because of instabilities or people sure. not trusting or anything of that sort?
2: Yeah. Back in the dawn of time, I was a, a what you would call a cold warrior. I was in the weapons the yeah. research and development business uh, during, yeah. during the 80s. I've thought a lot about competition with Russia and the Soviet Union for a long time, yeah, I'm, I'm no more expert than a lot of people, and you know, I would re- commend Niall Ferguson's Niall Ferguson's most recent writings on this. He's very astute okay. about the history, as yeah. you know, of Russia. But I think it's pretty clear that uh, a, a couple things will happen, and a, and a couple things could happen. The two things that will happen is that Russia will continue to produce gas. Yeah. Uh, they don't have anything else to make money with. The other thing that will happen is that if the West doesn't buy it, other people will, yeah. So, uh, India, Russia, China, uh, African nations, South American nations. So, there's lots of offtake, and the growth is uh, in Asia anyway. So, yeah. uh, but if we sanctioned the gas, all that means is that those that are buying the sanctioned gas get a discount, they still get to buy it because it's gonna be very hard. I don't think we can sanction China for buying Russian gas. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think it's extremely right. unrealistic. So they'll keep producing gas. They have to, which, you know, I think we'll see a realignment of uh, of interest. So the, the interest in having the US and Australia and Qatar, for example, those three big producers increase their supply to the world while Russia still needs the revenue is is Favorable to lower prices. Let's just say, if you're just yeah. thinking economic terms, it's yeah. favorable geopolitically because there'd be some delinking. Although there's now we have new dependencies and links. We you know we're strengthening strengthening the geopolitical uh, linkages between let's say China and Russia. So yeah, that may have some unintended consequences. the The wild cards, of course, are uh, principally in Russia's capacity to actually operate in its environment. You know, a lot of its gas production is in the north in the Siberian uh, regions. Mm -hmm. And and it's technologically extremely difficult. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: they've had a lot of help from uh, the top performers in this field are the Western oil and gas companies, Exxon's, the BP's, the Shell's. If if those companies, they've already pulled back, if they pull away either because they're ordered to, they're sanctioned, or they're just yeah. nervous. Yeah. Uh, Russia runs the kind of risk that Mexico is facing now, their production is going down, the kind of risk that Brazil faced before they let uh, Western firms come back in. Production declines because they don't mm-hmm. have the engineering capabilities. It's not right. that they're, they're not good engineers. they're just not as, and it sounds, I mean, the Western oil and gas companies are, are just profoundly good at what they do. Yeah. Especially in difficult water environments like deep water and the Arctic. So that's that's a risk that's and that supply starts to slip uh, and it slips faster than the West makes up the difference. Then we get upward price pressure. And I I don't think anybody can begin to guess the next five years of production in Russia at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of Americans that believe that if we would do certain things politically on our end of the our end of the uh, of the equation, that the US could fairly easily make it through this little crisis moment you know you commented in one of your podcasts about a fact and if i'm correct me if i'm not quoting you correct uh, correctly on this but you said that it's not a it's not a technology or an energy shortage issue it's a it's an economic it's like a it's a policy issue you so said we're something along the line of we are making 1.5 million fewer barrels we're producing 1.5 million fewer barrels of oil today at hundred and twenty dollars a barrel than yeah. we were a year ago at sixty dollars a barrel right do, do you do you think we would America could survive most of this if we get our get our uh, policy house in order
2: well we'll survive it anyway even with even yeah. with even with our feckless policy house right now because <laughs> okay we're, good we're very we're a very big economy with very high inertia yeah and uh with a, with a even as much damage as politicians are trying to wreak on our domestic energy industry, it's pretty resilient. But we, it can be destroyed, as I wrote in my book. You know, yeah, it is possible to Sovietize an economy. The, the Soviets demonstrated so, and uh, Venezuela de- Sovietized their economy. But yeah. I don't think that'll happen in America. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm realistic that more damage could be done, but we'll survive it. Uh, we can't insulate ourselves from global pricing. So if global oil and gas prices are a lot of pressure is put on and goes up, we will see the prices rise here, which if it go up enough, uh, we will suffer a recession too. Look, if oil prices tr- tracked what happened the last two times, we had a major interruption. We haven't had major supply interruptions except 73 and 74. And those, yeah. those interruptions, the 73 one took oil up 400% in overnight, 400%. Yeah, yeah. So okay, that okay. we'd be talking $300 oil, $350 oil. Mm-hmm. And the Iranian crisis took it up 200%. So these numbers uh, would be uh, destructive to the economy. We would suffer a recession because of that. It would trigger yeah, a recession yeah. because it would move too much money into you know, the markets that need fuel and industries would be damaged. It, you know, all the trajectory.
1: So yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I think that is not likely but the the crisis in Ukraine is volatile enough that you can no longer say it's impossible. Yeah. And and you know if Putin were self destructive, he said, "I'm I'm hurting. You want to hurt? You want to see hurt? I'll show you hurt. Just turn the spigots off and gas and oil go into Europe.
0: Right. That would cause
2: a whole lot of hurt there. And right. it, 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 would you call that an act of war? Well, you know he might." It, it mean, I mean, let me spin a theory. Let's just say he decided to do it in a in a Machiavellian way, rather than saying I'm turning off the, the spigot. Let's just say that the pipe got blown up, Nord Stream one. Yeah. Uh, and he would blame it on Chechen terrorists or Ukrainian terrorists. Maybe yeah. his guys did it, but it actually blown up. Uh, we would see gas prices go wild because yeah. Europe would have to make up the, the shortfall uh somehow. Yeah. Right. So that that's this is what worries me about where we sit, which, which we have no many options except to reset, back to the title of my piece, right? We reset our yeah. policies to send signal to the world that we don't want to be caught in this position again and to not be caught in this position again, but because Europe is, we're tied to the hip with Europe, whether we like it or not economically, yeah, right. we just are. And I think that's basically a good thing. I'm not, I am just saying we are, we, we have to, Europe and we have to have an energy policies that economically and structurally signal to the market, we're going to de-link from dependency, not, not no Russian oil and gas, but how about if we just get, I'll pick a number, a third of it from Russia, instead of 70% if you're Germany? Yeah, then, yeah. Then you have some resilience. That's right. That If that were the policy of the European Union and the United States in combination, yeah. the mere act of announcing that policy in legislation, so you can't change it easily, would-, right. would push down the forward price of oil and gas because markets price against future expectations. Yep. And right now the expectation is either the possibility of less or the possibility of a lot less, not the yeah. possibility of a lot more. That's not yeah. the expectation yet.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Two more quick questions. I'm ready. I'll do the answers this
2: time. <laughs>
1: All right. Good. No, that's fine. But you're going to answer
2: great. questions. I can't, you Can ask, I okay, already heard it. Renewables, do you want a short answer to renewables? No, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. So you're I I you know, listen to some of your stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Listen, you're not mm-hmm. a you're not an anti-renewables type of guy, mm-hmm. you're not a oil and gas is over. So it, again, thinking about our industry, yeah. I'm just curious, do you ever see a place where renewables of any type will play a significant uh role in? heat in industry in general, but more yeah. specifically high intensity places where natural gas is used like the heat treat industry?
2: No, short answer. Just okay, no. now the
1: follow up, why?
2: <laughs> well, first, most most uh, the majority of processes can't, can't be done electrically. We, yeah. we, we, we can use microwaves, as you know, for a lot of processes and plasma. Yeah. So there's a lot of things, a lot of work in that area and some very promising things, but yeah. There's, yeah. there's really no easy path to replacing uh, the efficiency, both right. thermodynamic efficiency and economic efficiency of a high temperature heat yeah, flames. Yeah. That's the nature of processing materials. So then the, the only option is is the, the current uh, affection for a quote, green hydrogen. So th- yes. this, this is a profoundly misplaced uh, aspiration. First, if we're gonna use hydrogen that we could begin to afford and produce at scale, it'll be by reforming natural gas. So it's economically obvious, stripping the carbon out of CH4 just to burn the H is expensive and and, and energetically counterproductive. So that's the quote brown, uh, stupid labels, brown hydrogen. If we wanna make hydrogen by electrolyzing water, water, you know, your, your audience understands our chemistry. The reason there's still water on the planet, there's a wonderful closed loop billion year water cycle is water does not want to be destroyed very easily. Yeah, it's a yeah. very stable molecule. So you have to use lots of energy to get the hydrogen out. And that itself makes it inherently, not just for the present, for the foreseeable future, far more expensive than natural gas until yeah. someone discovers a magic catalyst. And I'm not ruling that out cat- No, right. is, is amazing, but a magic catalyst, that can disassociate uh, yeah. the hydrogen from water in some fashion that is, let's say 10 times, not 10% more efficient right. than electrolysis. That would, that would be a big deal, but that doesn't exist. So yeah. renewables for, for heat, uh, yes, you know, sure. You make electricity with windmills uh, as long as you're willing to take your electricity episodically when the market provides it. And there are some right. businesses that can turn on and turn off. But if you want to store electricity, then we're going to go back into chemistry world that your audience knows lots about. If you spend 10 minutes studying the physical chemistry of batteries, what what you learn is for storing energy, if I have to store energy so I can provide heat when I need it to run a process, especially continuous processes, which are very common in heat treatment, storing natural gas as a compressed gas is relatively expensive. You'd rather have a pipe bringing it in. But if you just do it, in straight economic terms, how many dollars does it cost to store a therm's worth of energy in a compressed gas tank? How many dollars does it cost to store a therm's worth of energy in a battery? This is easy to figure out. Uh, It's roughly a hundred fold increase in the cost per therm to store energy in a battery versus storing it. So about storing it, not its energetic value, just storing it. So the batteries get cheaper by a factor of two? Sure, maybe. Uh, so it's yeah. just fifty times more expensive. Yeah, yeah right. And, and will batteries get cheaper? I'm, I w- I'm here to make a simple prediction I've been making for several years. No, they're they're getting more expensive now because they're made from materials. Batteries are sixty to seventy percent cost denominated by the commodities used to make them, and yes. all those commodities are inflating because everybody wants the same commodities, lithium. Right. Cobalt, manganese, nickel.
1: Yeah, and there and a lot of that's tied to the yeah. mining industry, which is a you know, very
2: slow industry to respond. Correct, correct, and, yeah, and a challenging industry to say yeah. the least.
1: And not exactly uh, a lot of stockpile in the North American area. I mean, most of its, oh. most of the, most of those mines are, you know, East the, I, I, Russia, China,
2: right, uh, so. Africa, South America. Well, you know, yeah. the United States is another sort of fact point. We were one of the largest mining regions on a a percentage basis in the world 40 years ago we produced 90 percent of the world's rare rare earth elements into the late 90s we produce nearly none now but the absolute size of the mining sector in the united states is roughly the same in tons of minerals produced now as it was 30 years ago but the world but the world uses about three times more stuff so our share of mining has not kept up with the growth of our economy or the world's economy because it it it's a hostile environment to open a mine in. We have lots of minerals. America is a very mineral-rich territory. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this administration just canceled two mines. Of that one in Minnesota to mine nickel, and one uh-huh. in Alaska. Uh, so we're we're demanding more minerals. Right. We're going to be importing them. We are now at least 17 uh, critical yeah. minerals, 100% imported.
1: Well, maybe we ought to maybe we ought to add to the old uh, drill, baby, drill. Maybe we ought to add uh, dig, baby, dig.
2: <laughs> oh, that you <laughs> took the words right out of my report that I wrote on this a, a year ago.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> well, I, I'll pre. I'll, I read that. No. <laughs> Last question. Let's come back to your book. I want to make sure our yeah. our audience gets a gets a good taste of what they would read in there. The cloud revolution. Why should they read it? Go ahead.
2: Well, uh, to answer. So you asked, to, do, do I cover materials? The yeah. The, ta- the taxonomy of the book is that everything in society is based on technologies. That's what civilization is built from. Yeah. Humans, humans are technology creating animals. That's what we do. We yeah. invent things, we have, we build tools. But all the technologies fall into sort of three buckets, three spheres. They're, they're about about one of only three things. It's about information, acquiring it, moving it, storing it, processing it, technologies for that the technologies of machines, machines to move, fabricate, control, every, we build machines. That's right, the, right. And the third sphere is the sphere of materials. You can't do anything with the machines unless you have materials to make the machines and the materials machines use to make other things. Yeah, so true, the, true. the universe of society is in those three domains. I, what I do in my book is map out the changes that are underway, not speculative, not theoretical. But I look at what I call the revolution that's already happened. What you want to know to know what the next 10 years will look like is not what was invented now or last year, but things that were invented 10 or 20 years ago that are just now reaching commercial viability. Uh That would tell you that the tipping point towards these inflections of growth are close to us. That's much more interesting than saying, oh, fusions around the corner. Well, no, it's not. Fusion—we don't know when fusion's gonna fusion is going to happen. Gotcha. Yeah. We haven't—we haven't invented a commercial machine yet. That if the co- first commercial fusion machine had been invented, say, five years ago, then you could say very different things about fusion the next yeah. decade. So yeah. I look at materials, machines, and information from the through the lens of what has just happened, and then what does that mean for employment, for entertainment? for education and for healthcare. So I I sort of map out the four big areas of what we wanna do with machines and materials and information. Yeah, And I map out first the revolutions in each of those three spheres where the epicenter of the revolution that sort of a thread through them all for the first time is this thing we call the cloud, which is not a communications tool. It's a a knowledge amplifier that's that's democratizing expertise, democratizing skill. I mean, everybody, if i had said 10 years ago that you'd do a lot of your data information processing not just storage in the cloud every one of every one of the yeah. companies in your audience would stare at me with eyed and say no chance yeah. they're all doing it now you do it day to day when you do google map or use airbnb but every single industry increasingly migrates their knowledge amplification not just their storage
1: all, right. like,
2: all, all the software they use not just in the back office but the run processes and some of the cloud Hardware might be on-premise for reasons of security or latency, but it's still still a cloud. The function is a cloud. I think the 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 impact of the cloud in the three domains of communications, the cloud is impacting how we can communicate. The cloud is not a communications tool. It uses communications and amplifies it. But how it impacts the material's genome. We're moving into an era where we have something, as you know, called the material's genome, where we can use supercomputers resident in the cloud to do what alchemists talk about for centuries is imagine a material, imagine properties you would like and do experiments that would take centuries. You can do them in hours in supercomputing, right? Yeah, yeah. Conjure up materials. But here's the key to come back to your your world. It not only all takes energy. Once the materials are conjured, which took electrical energy to conjure, it then will still take heat (laughs) to make those materials because nature doesn't want to give up Entropy without you having to expend heat. Yeah. To fight it.
1: Yeah. Well, there is hope for us. There is hope for the heat treat world, and that's for sure. So, There's going to be
2: a lot of heat treating going on for a long time.
1: There you go. Very good, Mark. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate your uh, expertise. Good to talk to you. Nice to see you again. Good to see and, you again. Uh, I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll stay in touch. But thanks for joining us.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Mark Mills. Heat Treat Radio is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website wwwheatreattodaycom forward slash radio if you'd like to learn more about mark go to www.manhattaninstitute.org forward slash expert forward slash mark hyphen p mills or simply search his name on the experts page his podcast is listed on this his page or you can go to amazon.com to purchase any of the four books you heard mentioned today including the latest the cloud revolution how the convergence of new technologies will unleash the next economic boom and a roaring 2020s also as always if you're wanting to hear more about a specific topic as it relates to heat treat do let me know or if you'd like to sponsor a future episode email me at bethany at and i'll be in touch one last note We're one month away from officially beginning the 40 Under 40 Class of 2022 nominations. This is an amazing opportunity to highlight the young movers and shakers in the North American heat treat industry, so don't miss it. Nominate yourself or a client so that we can celebrate 40 heat treat professionals under 40 years old this September. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank the Heat Treat Buyer's Guide for sponsoring this episode. Find your heat treat solutions at www.heattreatbuyersguide.com. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I'm Bethany Leon, Thank you for listening.